Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Sports, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Paul Nepper, and today we'll be talking to Mike Westoff about his new book, Figure It Out, My 32-Year Journey While Revolutionizing Pro Football Special Teams. Mike was one of the top special teams coaches in the NFL for more than 30 years and was the recipient of the prestigious Dr. Z Award from the Pro Football Writers of America, given to assistant coaches for their lifetime achievements in the sport. Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Um, so Figure It Out is the title of the book, and it is, uh, you know, you kind of refer to that mantra several times throughout the book. What does that expression, Figure It Out, mean to you? Well, there's a, I mean, I, I think it's applicable for everything that we get involved in, but in, in particular with business, um, it's a constantly changing process, particularly in, the, and that's what I wrote about. I wrote about it in that regard. In the National Football League, there, there's changes that occur constantly. Rule changes are very much a part of our game. The type of players that you have, who you actually have, how it all works. And uh, for me, it, it just was, oh, it kind of was like my whole life. You know, you start off, I, I was, um, things that I wanted to do when I was young, very much involving sports. Um, I started school very early, though I was kind of behind. And that was so difficult um, to try to get that. But I, I figured it out. I just found a way to make it work. You know, I didn't have everything. Okay, so all right, well, what are you going to do? Not not show up? So I figured it out. And, and that kind of worked for me all the way through everything I had to do. And then when I got involved in coaching, and that came about accident, accidentally, to tell you the truth, by accident. Uh, I had played football in college. I was a good player. I wanted to try to continue, but I wasn't good enough to play in the NFL. So I was involved. I wanted to go to uh, graduate school. So I went to Indiana University, got my master's degree in psychology, educational, not clinical. And then my goal was then to go to law school, not the idea of really being an attorney, but to use that law degree for a law enforcement type career, like the like the Secret Service or the FBI or something like that. That's what I right. was thinking. So while I'm in graduate school, I was a like a graduate assistant at Indiana University. Lee Corso offered. Matter of fact, actually, I'm going to see Lee Corso this week. That's kind of cool. Oh, I'm wow. giving a motivational speech up in Orlando, and he lives there, and he's going to come over and visit with me. That's but anyway, uh, all of a sudden, I kind of figured it out. I, I liked this. I liked coaching, and, and I, I wasn't too bad at it. And uh, I thought, hell, I can make this work. So next thing you know, here I'm a coach. You know, and right. then I was involved in college and went on, did some different things in college and had an opportunity. And my, my story to get in the NFL, I think, is very unique with Frank Cush, the way that all took place. You know, you know I'm coaching in college and I have an interview and I was at uh, University of Dayton. It's back in that time. They were playing Division One. Very di- Now, they were a great Division One basketball team. They, they still are good, but very difficult to compete. So here I am, you know, trying to make this work. And uh, uh, and, and so I, I had to move on. And I'm, I'm interviewing. I'm going to interview with uh, Earl Bruce, who was the head coach at Iowa State. And, you know, I'm all excited, thinking this is good. I'm a young guy. I've got a 
you know, I, I'm coaching. I got a briefcase full of resumes and I'm at the national convention. I'm going to get this job. Well, you know, next thing you know, you know, he ends up letting me sit there for all those hours. And, and that the way that whole thing transpired, I'm sure if you read it, but I won't, I won't give the whole story away for anyone that hasn't, but um, it was frustrating. You know, I, he had gone out and had some drinks with a friend for lunch and left me sit there. And when he came back and went up to his room and he closed the door in my face. So now here I'm, I walk down, you know, I, I go back to my room and I go out and jog along the beach. I was up in the weight room at night and I went into a little sauna up there. And there's Frank Cush, the head coach at Arizona State, sitting in there all by himself. So we got to talking and he asked me what I was doing and I told him the story. And, you know, he says, <laughs> He wasn't a big fan of Earl Bruce's, but anyway, and he told me, he said, I don't have a job, Mike. He said, I don't have one. He said, but if I did, I'd interview you. He said, I, I'd like to talk to you. He said, someday I'm going to have a job and I'll call you. Now, how many times has that ever happened? And that, you know, thank you, but that never happens. Right. Six years later, he called me. He got the, he got the head coaching job, the Baltimore Colts, and he called me. Well, next thing you know, I'm coaching in the NFL. You know, and then I that I'd like to be able to come back and I'd go in that in that lobby and when that guy closed the door, I'd beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Excuse my language, but that's just that's how I feel. I would have happily done that. But anyway, so now here I'm coaching in the National Football League. And I was a, I was a strength coach, which I didn't want to be, but I, I, I had to fill in. I coached tight ends, I helped at the offensive line. And I was Frank's assistant. I helped him with all the things that he had to do. And we were jogging one day during the strike in 1982. Uh, and Frank was talking about their special teams and he thought they were terrible and he was going to fire their coach, which it would have been a good idea because the guy was terrible, to tell you the truth. But anyway, I saved his, I saved the guy's job. I said, I don't do that, Frank. I said, let me, let me help. I'll do it. I'll, you know, I'll take it over. Well, I, I didn't have a notebook. I didn't know anything. Thank goodness there was a strike and I had a little time to kind of get started. And, uh, but what I learned in a hurry is that in this part of the game, there was, and I, and I mean this kindly, there was zero innovation. Everybody did a couple of little things. There was also pretty close to zero regulation. Mm. Well, I, mean, you could, I could try everything. So I started doing things and it mushroomed. And it mushroomed. And then I kind of, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I'm a little cocky. And I think maybe I got, I, I know I got the ball rolling. I know I did. Now, there were a number of other coaches that were very, very good that jumped in and were doing a similar type thing that I was. I think I led, I know I led, I led the show, though. And it became a very, very integral part of the game. It went from a point of, Oh, how should I say it? Non-plausibility to a point of prominence in the NFL. It had never been to that area before. And now with the new rule changes, it'll never get there again. It'll never happen again. It doesn't mean it's gone. It's not gone. It's just dramatically diluted. That's right. reality. Right. And here I was at the forefront of this whole thing, though. I wanted to write about it. And that's what I did. And, and you did it beautifully. I, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about your childhood. You talk a lot about, you know, you grew up in the Pittsburgh area and um, 
uh, I think you said, I believe you said you got in over 30 fights as a kid. Um, yeah, Mike, why so many fights? <laughs> well, first of all, I was a good target. You know, kids would, you know, I mean, it was an old, it was, it was a rough neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in a row house. Um, we were in the city. You know, it was a, it was a not impoverished area. That's not fair to say. It was just, it was a city. And, and it was a tough area. And, you know, I wasn't the biggest kid. You know, I'm this skinny little kid that, that, that was always involved and wasn't going to take much from anybody. And um, so I, I was the guy that, you know, if there was going to be a fight, someone, well, I'll fight him. Well, yeah, they look at me and they say, I'll fight that guy. So <laughs> they weren't, I wasn't the great biggest guy that everybody was afraid of. Right. So I had to defend, I had to do that. And I had a bad temper and, um, and I stood up for myself or anyone else. Um, I just did. I just have this thing. I remember, uh, and I don't know where, I, I guess I still do it to a degree. I'm, I'm calmed down. I used to be pretty wild. I calmed down a lot. I remember being in high school and, and I was a good high school player. I was the first sophomore that started on our high school football team. First sophomore in history of the school. We had a real good, I started and I was a good player. I was captain. We were undefeated. We were really good. And I was in a, and we used to eat on this little, in our cafeteria, they had like a little tiny two-step stage. Well, I used to eat there, you know, we, we were, we thought we were the big time. So we sat there. There was a girl that was in my class. I was a junior in high school. I still remember this. Boy, you you bring up some stuff. I never thought of this one. This just occurred mm -hmm. to me. You asked me why. Okay. I still can't even tell you her name. I will not say her name because that might be embarrassing. She was a big girl. She was kind of heavy. She was big. And I'm sitting there, and there's a table down below. And this kid, this guy, went in school. He was like a senior and he was like a wise guy, you know, you could call him whatever you wanted to call him. But I never forget, he went over and he sat down at her table and he started making fun of her because she was heavy. I, I, you know, right. it's just, it's, I, I won't use the words he was using. And uh, I got up and went down, told him to get up and leave. And don't be, don't you, they don't need to say that to anybody again. And he said, oh, that's what she is. Well, I'm, I broke the lunch plate right over his face. Wow. I, I just smashed him and I was beating the hell out of him. And they, of course, took me to the principal, and they were going to throw me out of school. And the principal was just great, though. He was really my buddy. And he, he I'll never forget, he told me, he said, now I'm going to have to act like you're really in trouble. He said, but you're not. He said, yeah. oh, I'm going to cover. He said, Mike, just please don't do this again. But then they had to take him to the nurse. Can you beat the shit out of him? But um, <laughs> I was just tough, and I fought. And I would never, I just couldn't. I just had a way that I, I just, I didn't care. I, I, I hated that. That right. That's the kind of stuff for me. That that was my life. And uh, and so I was in third, third, when I was in high school, I was in over 30 fights. Wow. I was, I got, I got arrested a couple of times, you know, for fights, stupid stuff. Yeah. Stupid things. You know, I just, but it's how I grew up. It's all I knew. Right. Uh, you know, I remember being at a high school basketball game. We had this real good basketball team in a beautiful gym. And we were football players and we had kind of like sort of stand up to keep people from walking all over the floor. You know, and this guy from another high school came by, it was a real good game. He, he sort of smacked into me. I went on their high school bus and started a fight <laughs> on their bus. I went right on their bus. I was winning too. 
<laughs> so I got in trouble for that one. I got arrested for that. But then they let me go. They backed me up. Everybody would back me up because I was a good guy. Yeah. I was just a fighter. That's what I knew. Right. And uh, then I, I, I used those things later on in a more intelligent manner, you know, where I wasn't trying to be a jerk and not be in a fist fight or something stupid. But I, 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 want, I was going to fight. You know, we were going to be, when I coached, I wanted our team to be the toughest team. But yet to do it right, we never, you know, I, I never put a bounty on somebody, something right. stupid. We never tried to hurt anybody. I did it the right way, but we were tough. I mean, it's like Roger Goodell was teasing me. He said, you know, Mike, you're the last one that can complain about the rule changes. We made most of them because of you. <laughs> I kind of like that, to tell you the truth. That's funny. And you read some of the things. You read what some of the guys said. I didn't say it. They said yeah, it. Yeah, no, absolutely. They loved it. They, they, it's, it's what the business is. It's a, it's a violent game, but it has to be controlled and done respectfully. That's what I think. That and the fact that football, to me, is the most academic game that's played anywhere. That's what, yeah. makes, it, that's what makes it the greatest game. I, I wanted to ask you about that. There, there was a particular quote that I that I, I found interesting from the book, um, and I'm, I'm going to read it to you. It's there's no sport that comes close to football in the level of intellectual sophistication. It is by far the most academically complex sport. So I, I could talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Sure. Okay. Okay. Let, let's look at baseball. And I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. I like baseball. All right, now you're playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and you get traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay, you're a third baseman. Then you go to the Phillies, and in the lineup, you're a you're a you know you're a oh you're a two seventy five hitter. So you're going to bat fifth. They put you fifth in the lineup, ready to play. You get opening day. You go out, and the manager comes up to you, and he says, uh, "Okay, Paul." He says, all right, now, you know, da 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 we're going to bat you 50. You've been doing this. You play third base. He said, oh, by the way, Paul, I rubbed my hat. That's the indicator. And I just sort of brushed my pant leg, steal second base. All right, you're ready to play for the Phillies. Right. You're ready to go. Now you get traded from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Philadelphia Eagles. You get a 10-page notebook. Right. <laughs> that's not double-spaced. Right. And you've got to learn. You've got to learn a new language. Let's see. Red, right, split, halfback, 72, short option. That's just one little wrinkle dink of play. Right. you got 30 million of those. I mean, right. it's, it's a challenging. You've got 11 times 11. It's a chess match. The difference is in football, unlike chess, instead of having a designated movement that the chess pieces have, you can do anything. You can move anywhere. Though it's so complex. And it, it really is, you know, I mean, I I listened to, I don't want to be disrespectful. I was listening to soccer one time after the the women uh, won the gold medal. And one very good soccer player for the women, women's team who irritates me a little bit because I don't like how she publicly criticized the president. I mean, I, even though I, he certainly deserved some of it at the time, but <laughs> I don't think the way she did it was the way you should do it. Um was, was talking about, and she had made a penalty kick. Okay, penalty kicks in professional soccer are made at above the 90% level. Okay, so that's standing outside your double-wide garage and you kick the ball in the damn garage. 
You think that's like playing quarterback in the National Football League? Give me a break. <laughs> when they get hit in soccer, God bless them. My grandkids play and, and they love it. Um, you know, they carry off in a litter. Please. You know, they fall <laughs> down. I, I, the guy trips and he's laying out there for a half hour. It's ridiculous. And, and I'm not disrespectful because I think they're incredible athletes. Right. And I think it's something to be respectful of. But come on, our game is the game. It's so much involved. I used to give out just special teams. It was a compound, it was a compounded depth chart, game plan, scouting report. 80 pages a week. Crazy. Now back then, you know, you could kick off coverage and you could do they could run guys all over the place. You know, today you have to line up and it's just pretty much basic. All that stuff has changed. So, okay, it, it, you don't have the variables. That's the variables that I faced and I helped develop. But to me, it, it is the most academically challenging sport by far, by far. I mean, there's not even close. I think, and, and I, I know basketball uh, has some things where, they, you know, they, 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 they've got a lot of that. But a lot that's not. Uh, I think professional football the coach plays a bigger role than he does in any other sport. Any other yeah, sport. I agree with that. Yeah. Because he call, he has to, you know, he call, look, a lot of the guys or some of them are coordinators, you know, the, the head coaches, they call plays, they have to run the game. They manage the situation. You've got clock management. You've got all the timeouts. You have rules. I mean, one of the things we did with the jets that I'm pretty proud of, you know, I worked with coach Shula all those years. And he was brilliant. I mean, a brilliant, hardworking man that that knew all he could walk into any meeting and take it over and teach it. Very few coaches can do that. Uh, Bill Belichick could maybe do that. Uh, and believe me, I don't I don't put him in the same category. I, I just don't. I mean, I'm, I, I respect him, but I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, OK, so I was used to the way Don did things. So when I went to New York, I told Herman Edwards, I want to be in charge. I want to handle officiating. So they had had two older gentlemen. One guy's name was Tony Viteri. He had been an NFL official. I think he had, I think he officiated seven Super Bowls. He had been around. He was retired. And a guy named Joe Iacovino, who was an official that ran the stadium clock and the Meadowlands for like 30 years. All right, They officiated our practice. And then we hired other guys, some college officials, a couple high school guys that worked our practices. We had hired, we hired two guys, um, Jim Quirk, and um, that'll come to me. Just give me – it'll come to me in a second. But anyway, uh, Wayne Mackey, Wayne, God, God rest him, Wayne died. Uh, they both left our practices and officiated in the NFL. J- Jim Quirk is still doing it. He's still wow. there. And, yeah. and Wayne, Wayne, after he retired from NFL officiating, worked in the league office. But these were really good guys. For eight years, when I went to the New York Jets, for eight years, we were the least penalized team in the NFL. Amazing. You want to win some games? Try being the least penalized team. Yeah. You know, back when we had, you know, those guys, you know, we, we, we had a, we weren't great, but we were damn good. You know, when we had Vinny Testaverde and then Chad Pennington took over. And of course we went all the way and it went up to Rex and, and worked through those times. We were in the playoffs a lot. Yeah, we were a good football team, you know. You know, when, when Brett Favre was there, people forget before Brett got hurt. You know, we were eight and three. <laughs> we had just beaten New England at New England and went down to Tennessee. It was ranked first and beat them. 
And then Brett hurt his shoulder, and he, yeah, poor Brady couldn't throw across the street, and, and yeah. we lost. But then Rex came in, and we went to two two national two two conference championship games. Excuse me, though, you know, we were least penalized team. I I, I used to get on the train, and I'd go into uh, go into Manhattan. I'd go over to two eighty Park Avenue. It's across the street now, but back then that's where it was. And I'd go up and visit with Mike Pereira. Mike was the head of officiating, and Mike's a very 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 good official. And I sat there with the officials, and they would show me how they made their calls. What, what, why did you call holding? Well, here, Mike, we don't call holding because of your hands. We call holding because of your feet. If you're running with the man in front of him, we'll never call it. But now he starts to get away from you, and you extend, we're throwing a flag. Things like that. I learned all these things. And so I would teach it. Mm-hmm. I used to give a... Uh, an official's report. A lot of teams do now. When I went to uh, when I went to uh, uh, New Orleans, well, Sean Payton did a very good job of that. Uh, but I started it back way back when, before anybody did it. Uh, we would give a, a report each week on the officiating crew, what they called, what their tendencies were. You know, some guys say, "Look, you, 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 you they're going to call this every time." Right. I remember we were playing. We were playing somebody and we had a big, big game for us. We had an officiating crew that never called ever. Did they ever call offensive pass interference? I talked about it. I can still picture uh, Lavernius Coles pushing a defensive back and catching a touchdown pass in the end zone. It was offensive. He pushed him right away and caught the ball. We won, <laughs> we won the game. <laughs> it was, you know, I learned a lot, but those are the things that, that helped me do the job that I did and and then just being so, and that's what I wanted to write about, but football, it's by far the most academically challenging to me. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about some of the, you know, one of the great things about the book is you gave great insight into some of the great players and coaches in the history of the game. Um, one is Dan Marino, who you refer to as the greatest quarterback in NFL history and that might surprise some people. We, we live in a world now where people just they just want to count championships and that they think that's all all that matters. Um, I, as a lifelong Jets fan, I don't need any convincing. OK, that guy carved up my team two games a year every year for many, many years. I know how incredible Dan Marino was. But from your standpoint, what what made him the best? The way he worked his work. At, first of all, you know, he, he, he had tremendous talent. He was a talented individual. I mean, I know him really well. I mean, he, we, he, he grew up in a very similar neighborhood. He broke all of my father's city of Pittsburgh high school records. They went to the oh, same wow. high school, Central Catholic. My dad held them for years, and Dan broke them. Uh, so I knew him. If it would have been up to us as coaches, Dan would have been playing for the Baltimore Colts. We were going to draft them. That's the year Elway came out. Remember, Elway didn't want to go to the Colts. Right. He didn't want to play for Frank Cush. We coached Dan in the senior bowl that year. We won the game. We loved him. We loved Dan. And we as coaches talked about, well, I, okay, if Elway doesn't want to come here, let, why don't we just draft Marino? But the general manager and the owner, they weren't going to have that. You know, Elway was the highest rated. We had the first pick. And we were going to take Elway. Well, you know how well that worked out. That worked out real well. Uh, that didn't work. He didn't, he, wouldn't, he didn't want to come. He made the trade. Elway, or, uh, John Elway went to Denver, and he, he did pretty well. Yeah. But 
we, uh, we, we'd have loved to have Dan Marino. But anyway, I got to know him when I went there. I was coaching offense. I was coaching tight ends. I had all our special teams. Coach Shula and I did that. And, uh, and I helped with our offensive line. Our offensive line coach, John Sandusky, had been, gotten a little older and he had some health issues. And I took over the line a number of times. I coached him. And it was so much fun. Uh, and to watch Dan, there's a couple things that he did. Uh, number one, just real quick, he had a sign in his locker, back of his locker, that I'm going to practice every day and play every play. And that's what he did. Until he tore his Achilles up in Cleveland, he, he never missed a play. Pratt never. He never missed it ever. Nothing. He worked his tail off. And he, he, used, to, he used to always say, you can't defend a perfect pass. If I throw the perfect pass, I don't care who you are, where you are, you can't stop it. I'll get it there. Though in practice, he never, ever, ever was satisfied unless he threw the perfect pass. He, that's what he was trying every day. And he worked so hard at things. I used to, um, I actually, I was talking to, I told this little story to Zach Wilson uh, this year when I was at training camp. Okay. I, 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 unfortunately, I think I was speaking in Chinese because he sure <laughs> as hell didn't pay attention to a word I said, but and I tried. I was telling him one of the things that Dan did after in practice, we would have offensive seven on seven where the, you know, the, the, the quarterback and the backs and the receivers and tight end go against the defensive linebackers and secondary. They practice a passing game. Okay. Now when the, when that flipped around and then it was the defense's turn to be up going against the scout team guys, Dan would go down with the linemen and the linemen would be together working on their pass rush games at this time where the defensive line would you know, run the little twists and stunts and all those things. Dan would get in the huddle, call the play. Okay. Now they're not going to kill Dan if they come clean, of course, you know, but this is full speed. Dan would go back, move all around in the pocket and throw that lightning quick release that you know he had. Well, yeah. guess what? He practiced that lightning quick release. And he would throw it to a receiver, of which on the designated play, Dan would tell, you know, he had just one or two guys with him. Uh, he would tell them to run a particular pass route. <clears throat> and the guy would just have to run like the last two or three steps of the route. How do I know that? Because for years, I ran those last two or three steps of that route. I did it. Back before wow. I had all my surgeries, I was pretty athletic, and I could do that. Now I'm only running three steps, so please, you know, I'm right. not Mark Clayton, but <laughs> I did it for years. So I know what he did, and I know how hard he practiced it. You know, he'd be in that huddle, and boom, and that's what he did. And so, and he studied. And then when they had meetings, it was a dialogue. You had Coach Shula, who was great in meetings, and then they'd show a clip of the Patriots. And then a clip of our practice. And he'd be telling Duper and Clayton and Nat Moore and Jim Jensen, those guys, exactly where he was going to throw the ball, how to get open, how to, you know, you're going to, they're going to play like this. They showed it. Here it is. No, no, you can't, you can't break there. You've got to break here. Things like that. It was a dialogue and it was a tremendous learning experience. And um, I watched Dan Marino do it for, for his, almost his whole career. I was there with him and I watched him do it. And, wow. and Dan was, I mean, he was good at it. He was so good. And he was fun. He was fun to be around. You know, they did a thing where he, they had like a goal line passing thing, like a one-on-one, two-on-two. 
and Dan would, they would bet and Dan would take the offense and he'd cover them. You know, Dan had enough money and it was hysterical. And I mean, it was so competitive. I can still remember Dan telling Clayton one time, balls on the five yard line. And he said, Mark, bend it in and break out. He said, I'm going to hit the top of the pylon. I'm going to throw the ball and hit the top of the pylon. You grab it right there. I'm going to tell you what. I could, I could actually still picture it. That ball hit, was going to hit the top of the pylon. Clayton had his feet in. He grabbed the ball, touchdown. It was unbelievable. Yeah. That's how he worked. But he did that day after day after day after day. He did it. Even when he was banged up and he had to wear that great big boot. Remember, he had that big boot because his mm. Achilles got torn and the, 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 the tendon didn't flex properly. They had to artificially flex his foot. Um, that's what he did. And I was right there watching the whole thing. So I have the, and I saw a thing. There was a, one of those NFL films presents and they had the football life and it was Dan Marino. And as they were showing, they did a great job in the show, by the way. And as they were showing things, they were interviewing. They talked to Peyton Manning, uh, John Elway, Brett Favre, um, Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Kelly, the, all those guys, the great quarterbacks. And every one of them said when they studied a quarterback, the guy they all watched, including Elway said this, El, and, and, and Peyton, they watched Dan Marino. Wow. Now these, they're all in the Hall of Fame, those guys. Yeah. He, yeah. Said, he said, he's the guy we watched. When I wanted to watch a quarterback, I watched Dan. Wow. That's who he was. And he yeah. worked so hard. I mean, he worked at it. He did it every day. You know, he just was practicing it and he – he practiced hard and uh oh it was so much fun. So much fun to be a part of that just do I remember he came off the field one time and he was getting killed. He was getting sacked or something. He took his helmet, took it off, and he kind of threw it over, just sort of tossed it over by Coach Shula. Of course, Coach Shula, it hit the ground. Dan said, That's it for me, I'm done. <laughs> he said, you, you, he said to him, he said, You're calling that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead out there and play. You go play. He said, because I'm done. He said, I'll be over here. Austin God was so t- now they had a great relationship, believe me. They right. really respected and loved each other. Right. He went over, he sat down on the bench. He crossed his leg, he kind of sat back, he said, I'll be over here, watch. Yeah. <laughs> I had to run. I ran down the other end of the field. Because if Coach Shula saw me laughing, he was gonna kill me. <laughs> said, I'm not going in. I'm done for the day. He said, I'm tired of getting killed. He said, you're calling that mess. You go go ahead and play for a while. <laughs> and we were we were dying. We were high. He said, uh, he put his leg up. He crossed his leg. He said, yeah, I'll be right here. <laughs> oh, man, I was dying. Then, of course, it was our time to go back out, you know. He got up and he ran over and got his helmet. He said, all right, I'll play. <laughs> That's oh, great. It was hysterical. But it was a... That's the kind of thing that 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 I know existed and exists in the National Football League. And that's what I wanted to try to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned your surgeries. Um, I was in 1988. You, you had cancer in your femur bone and, and had yeah. to have a, a very serious surgery and a number of subsequent surgeries, um, which sounded quite uh, innovative, really. Um, how did it feel when you when you heard that that big word cancer? That's uh, it's the toughest of all. You know, I mean, here I, I I remember I was you know in the 
right before training camp, I'm wrestling around with my five-year-old son, and he kind of lands on my leg, and my oh, pain shot through. I went, what the heck? That's, I mean, that really hurt. And I thought, it shouldn't have hurt that bad. I just bumped my leg. Right. And I used to know, I used to jog, and um, it just didn't feel right. Something felt, it just didn't feel right. And, and, and I felt like it was a little bit weaker uh, and because it was getting weaker. And then it got worse during the season. Uh, anyway, and I saw the team doctor. He had talked about uh, that that was probably caused by a, uh, an issue in my back, pushing and pinching uh, a nerve that affected a sciatic nerve running down the outside of your leg. And he said, uh, so I can, it's probably just a, you know, a little bit of a, uh, you know, we can clean that up with a, a laminectomy. It's a very small incision to lower your back. You kind of scrape the, 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 the area, clean it up. He said, it'll be fine. It shouldn't be an issue. Uh, first of all, that, that really wasn't a very good diagnosis. I made the mistake in not being involved with a neurosurgeon rather than an orthopedic, even though he could do it and done that surgery a number of times. But it, it could be a little more complicated. Uh, during the surgery, there was an accident. And I described that accident. The yeah, nick my wow. iliac artery, uh, which can happen. It very rarely does. Uh, and it, um, I've had quite an experience with different doctors all over the country. No one that I know ever knows of anyone that survived that surgical accident. Wow. No one. Because the iliac artery is so difficult to get to, you know, your aorta comes out of your heart, goes down into your groin. It forms an iliac artery. It goes down through your groin and splits into your right and left femoral, which carries the blood into your legs. Okay. I'm, I'm actually pretty good at medicine. I learned a lot, uh, a lot, because you pay attention when you're the one wearing a wristband. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mine was nicked and I was in trouble. And fortunately for me, a surgeon came into the room, a vascular surgeon, little tiny guy from Cuba named Cristobal Vieira. And um, he said, what happened here? And he said, I don't know. He said, could have you hit the iliac? No, I don't Yeah, maybe. He tried to go in through the bay, couldn't do it, packed my back, flipped me over. I have a big, I have quite a scar. I've got, I get the most scars in history. And uh, took out my entire stomach and intestines. Went down in, sewed sewed that artery together. So now... I mean, that's a tough one. But now here I and I survive it. You know, I wake up and I've got tubes everywhere and I'm what the hell happened to me? You know, right. <laughs> how did this, I'm supposed to have a little cut like this big. I got, <laughs> I got this. How, whoa. Anyway, but then later on, I discovered that there really was nothing that was coming from my back. This was all stemming from a malignant bone tumor in my left femur. It was osteogenic sarcoma, which is a primary bone cancer, which is very rare for someone my age. I'm, I was much, I was 40 and that's, that's, that's a, that's a kind of a kid's disease, uh, you know, six to 16 to 26 type illness. Anyway, so I, I ended up getting a, there was a surgery they called an allograph where they would go in. Used to be if you had primary bone cancer that in order to, to solve the problem, they, they would have to amputate the limb. But this guy named Henry Mencken brilliant doctor in Massachusetts. He's actually, he's a Pittsburgh guy, to tell you the truth. Um, he invented the surgery where they would cut out the part of the bone that had the tumor, replace that part with a donor bone from a cadaver, and then screw it together like you'd fix a chair leg. Well, that's what I had. 
That's what I had. He did mine. It's a 12-hour surgery. It's, it's going to cut your leg I mean, from my knee to my hip. I have four of those scars, so I've had that done 10 times. Not eight out of eight, eight, eight times because I kept breaking it. Anyway, right. um, it's very complex. And then I went through chemotherapy, and that's that was tough. Uh, but, you know, that, that all took place 1988 or so, and here's 2023, and I'm still here. So I, something was right. Yeah. I did it right. I had some great help. My family was great. The team was great. The Dolphins were great to me. Um, the uh, uh, doctors were incredible, incredible. And I ended up, after I broke it a couple of times, because you're, you know, you're, you're not supposed to live the kind of life that I led. And I kept doing everything. And that's not the brightest idea, but I just did. Um, I went to Sloan Kettering in New York, a guy named Henry, uh, John Healy. He's, he's the top orthopedic. He's, in, he's first in the world. He's the man. And he invented a very, very complex device that I have. And my entire left leg, my hip, all the way down through my knee, it's all metal. I have no bone. And I live a normal life. I do everything. It's incredible. And so, you know, it's pretty cool. Now, I had to fight through a lot of that while I was coaching. So that's why the cane and the, the crutches and some of the junk that I had to go through but, you know, I just, I go back to when I was a kid. Okay, Mike, this is what you have. So figure it out. You know, and I didn't care. So I had a cane. I knew the guy on the other side of the field didn't have a cane, but I knew I could beat him. I didn't care. So I just did it. I just yeah. walked with it. You know, and then I kept breaking them. I'd get help. I'd be back playing golf. And next thing you know, I'd be doing something or riding my bike. I went whitewater rafting. I owned four snowmobiles in Wyoming. I just got back. Actually, I'm going back this week. Oh, wow. And I, so I, I live a normal life, but I stressed it and I would break it. So they just had to repair it. And you know, now Biomet, they, they hate to, they don't want to ever get phone calls from me. So I told them <laughs> I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll be careful. So I'm getting older and I'm, I'm a little more careful now. But um, I, I had a tremendous medical experience, tremendously difficult, but tremendously rewarding. And, and I'm very appreciative of everything. And, and, I, and I don't feel anything different or special than the millions of people that have to go through things because none of us really get a hall pass to go through life. You know, we're all going to have something. <laughs> Something's going to happen to us. You know, they don't come down at the end and take you up to heaven in a chariot. That's probably not going to happen to any of us. I sure right. as hell it didn't happen to me. But, uh, so, you know, we have to deal with things with our family and our friends and it's what life is. And so me here, I, I'm trying to work through all this. It affected my career very much so. You know, I had to, to, I remember I had applied for a head coaching job at a college one time at a school I, I wanted to go back to. I only would have taken the head job there. And I found out, I wasn't supposed to find out, but I found out that during their meeting, someone had brought up that the fact that well, I was a cancer, they shouldn't have done that. And I wasn't supposed to know, but I learned wow. that it came up. Uh, and of course, they would deny it, obviously, but it, it, it affected it. It affected it. And so, you know, I had to kind of go through some tough times with all that. But I don't know. I didn't care. I, I just made it work. I, fi I figured it out. You figured it out. And, uh, yeah. And so that I, I wrote about it. But I was fortunate to be with the very best people and to have the best surgeries. The last one I had was pretty tough. I mean, that was over, that was almost eight hours. 
you know, to be 70 years old and to be out for eight hours is not much fun. But it worked and, I, and I'm doing great. So uh, I did talk about that. And as I made it very clear, uh, I know I appreciate the concern and the care and the empathy and sympathy, if you want. But I don't think you know shit about medicine unless you're the guy wearing the wristband. Right. You care. And I, and I appreciate the love and the concern and the care until you put that wristband on. You don't get it. I don't. I, that's just the way I feel. I, I, that's all I believe. And um, kind of for me, it's like a little private club. You know, those of us that have done it. Uh, and I and I tell people this. I've talked to them all the time. I said, "Come on, my man, you're in the club. You're in." Let me tell you. Here's here's what we're gonna do. So that's been a a, a very big part of my life, and uh, and I'm always proud or happy to try to help uh, someone. In fact, it's amazing. Oh, probably 11 o'clock last night, I got a phone call from a guy I used to go to school with uh, talking to me about what was going on with his daughter, how his daughter had gotten sick and was fighting through these things and da-da-da-da-da. And he asked me for some advice, that where do I turn next? Unfortunately for him, I knew the, I knew the place that he should call. I knew the hospital. Right. Last night, 11 o'clock. Wow. So... I wrote about some of this stuff, but it's an interesting kind of commentary on what I think is pretty important. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, you know, a little bit about a little more about special teams. You know, you've had you had so many great special teams players in your career from, you know, Larry Izzo. And uh, I mean, just with the Jets alone, you know, I, 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 the Jets come first to me, but you know, the, you talk about some in the book, Leon Washington and Brad Smith. I mean, we're, we're just excellent return men. Um, what, what do you look for in a special teams player? That's a good question. Um, a number of things. First of all, it's what I don't look for. I think that's important. And that came to me by accident. And I wrote this in a book. Uh, through an encounter that I had as a very young coach when I was a graduate assistant working on my master's uh, at Indiana with Woody Hayes. Right. One of our coaches, a guy named Howard Brown, had been an Indiana coach for a long time. He died. And Lee Corso came to me and gave me a keys to his brand new car and said, Mike, you got to go up to Indianapolis. I need you to pick up Woody Hayes. He's coming over for a funeral and for the services. And I said, well, are you kidding me? Sure. I picked him up and so now for like two or three days, I'm with Woody Hayes. I'm his host. I drove, we drove and talked and, and he, he was just, he, he was so well educated. I mean, he had, he was an historian. He knew all about the area that we were in. He knew the history of everything. You know, he, at that time, of course, you know, the Indiana was playing great basketball back in the seventies. Bobby Knight was the head coach and, you know, had won the championships. Well, you know, Bobby Knight's an Ohio State University graduate. Right. So Woody's telling me all about that, which I, I knew, but yeah, you know, he was he was taking credit for that too. It was, right. But anyway, we talked and talked, and as we're driving back at the end of the day, he's talking about some things, and and he said to me, you know, we talked quite a bit about conditioning and weightlifting and those things. He said, I want you to remember something as a coach. He said, don't ever let a number be your deciding factor in who's a football player. I don't care if it's a good number or a bad number. Look around it. Don't let a number. I never forgot that. I, I didn't care. When I went out to 
Texas Tech. I was the only coach that actually went out there. Uh, there were scouts, but I'm the only coach that worked out Zach Thomas. The day I was there, he was 5'10 and a half, and he weighed 223 pounds. He's a linebacker. And we drafted him in the fifth round. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy pulled the trigger, but I, I drafted him. I don't care what anybody tells you. I did it. Well, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame, I'm, I believe. I hope anyway. I'm not sure, but I hope so. Um, so I didn't care. That was the first thing. I, I wasn't going to let a number figure it out. I mean, Larry Izzo. I mean, I, I had scouts tell me, Mike, what the hell are you going to, to, to Rice for? This kid, he's a playing linebacker. He's 5'9". He's not even 5'10". And he weighs 215 pounds. Where's he going to play? Right. He played 13 years. And he has four Super Bowl rings. I said, well, he can play for me. I'll figure it out. Though I wanted guys that were open field players. You know, special teams is not played in the elevator. It's played everywhere else. You got to have that ability, and so you know. I, I and, and I, I wanted gym rats. I wanted guys that were that were smart, but they lived for it. They loved it. It's what they did. You know, they weren't the number one draft pick. They just weren't going to be. Okay, so these are the guys that I wanted. Now I then had to take the top guys, Troy Vincent to go back, um, Santana Moss at the Jets. You know, John Vilma, the Jets. Okay, how do I incorporate them to get them to help me with maybe just one thing? Maybe one play, one thing. Okay, so I got my guys, and now I've got the all-stars. And we're going to put it together, and we're going to really be good. And I'm going to create roles for people. Because you can't just – like I, I remember I was, I was talking to Joe Rose one time. Joe does the radio – and stuff for the Miami Dolphins. And he played for me. He played for Coach Shula. I told Joe, I just told this year, actually. I said, you're the reason I became a really good coach. I said, it's because of you. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, Coach Shula came to me one time. said, Mike, why don't you put Joe on some things? I went, Joe Rose. Cram. I run better than he does. How am I going to put him out there? I, I had to find a place for you. Well, guess what? I figured it out. I wasn't going to use you on everything. You couldn't do it. I put you over here, put you over there. I figure if you get killed here, that's okay. Not going to matter because this guy will make the play. It won't make any difference. Though, you know, you have to do those things. But the real good ones, I mean, you just saw this talent level that they had. And then I wanted to make sure that I was doing something that they could do. You know, for example, I mean, I had Justin Miller. You remember him, the great return guy. Led the league, went to Pro Bowl. Okay. Well, then I've got Leon Washington. All right. Led the league, went to the Pro Bowl. Justin Miller running a return used to like to be 12 to 14 yards behind a wedge or back in those days, you know, I'm running like an off tackle play. So we're going to double team and kick out. That's going to be a wedge, but the wedge had to be two guys. It wasn't four. You know, it wasn't like the big, like you used to see. So you had right. two and then one. Okay. Well, he wanted to be behind it further because he wanted to run and catch it. Leon Washington, he was five to eight. He wanted to hide behind it. And then he'd break through because he was a running back. Though distance and timing and spacing are crucial elements. That's what I have to figure out. I'm responsible for that. Where does it all time up? You know, I'm watching a team practice in training camp this year. They're practicing kickoff return, which you don't have much of anymore today anyway, but because it's not like it used to be. But 
they're practicing a double team on a 35-yard line. They're catching the ball on the two. Well, what makes you think you can hold the ball? Like they're, you know, uh, you know, they're catching the ball in Fort Lauderdale and they're over here in Fort Myers. But that's come on, give me a break. It's never gonna work. You have to time it. So that's the thing that I think I did very well. But if I took those kind of guys and I figured this stuff out, then we could be really good. We'd be really good. And it, it just, you know, my years at the Jets, we had nine, nine different guys that led the NFL in returns. Well, nobody's going to touch that record. It's never going to happen. You know, first of all, you don't have that many plays. You're never going to get that many guys. But right. you know, we figured it out. You know, what could Santana Moss do that uh, someone else couldn't do? Or what, you know, what do we have to do? Types of things that we get. To, oh, let me hang this up. Excuse me. Sorry. No. Sorry. That's uh, okay. You know, that, that, uh, that, that you know, we, we could get done. So I, I love those kind of guys that, that, you know, I mean, I went to, I went to New Orleans and here I see this kid coming out of the locker room and with a towel wrapped around. He looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I said, Who the hell is this guy? It was Taysom Hill. Right. So I, I went to Sean Payton and talked about it. Next thing you know, he's playing for me. And now he's maybe one of the most versatile players, and he is the most versatile player in the National Football League. You know, you just got to find a spot for him, and I did. And, yeah. and that's the you know that was Larry Izzo, and that was you know, the, some of the Kenyatta Wright was a linebacker that nobody knew who he was when he played for us. Oh my goodness gracious! You know, he'd knock your head off. Eric Smith, brightest could be one of the brightest football players I ever coached. I mean, he did a tremendous job for us, and you know, just on and on with those kinds of guys. And right. you find places for them. And the next thing you know, you can win some games. You can win games. And, and I've done it. I was able to do it in my career and help us win football games. Did it Did it win the game? I mean, you know, of course, I believe that it did. I definitely believe it could lose the game because I put a lot of pressure on myself. But give me some of those guys. Ah, come on. We're going to be pretty good. We're going to have fun. And uh, – and that, that's what, uh, that, those are guys, that's what I believe in. Well, you did. I mean, you, you, you won a lot of games, as you said, with the Jets. Uh, I mean, that stretch when you were there was, was probably the best stretch in the, in the history of the franchise in terms of. Just consistent... one second, please. I got to tell yeah. this crap. Tom, I'm doing an interview. Just come on. What's happening? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing an interview on the phone. Just come on, show up when you get here. Thank you. So are you want me to be at your house? Yeah, my house. All right. All right, bye. Sorry, I had to do it. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no problem. <laughs> I had to um, tell him. So I'm saying you you had a, you know, the, the time that you were the Jets was probably the best extended stretch the franchise has had. There were a lot of playoff seasons and that kind of, I guess the apex of that was the, the, the two years with Rex when you went to the, the championship game two years in a row. Um what was what was Rex like as a coach? What were his strengths and weaknesses as a coach? Rex was I, I really enjoyed Rex. Um, I didn't know him. I, I knew of his, you know, I knew who his father was. You know, his father one of the great defensive coaches in NFL history. Right, and I knew Rex had a good reputation being at Baltimore as being a defensive coach. Um, I really liked him. I got to know him, and I, I, I still talk to him a lot. I talk to him every every couple of weeks about his TV show and what he's. I think he does a good job there, also. To tell you the truth. Um, Rex was Rex had a vision. He believed being being a defensive guy. You know, he he wanted to 
run the football on offense, control the passing game. He had a formula of number of plays that you have, runs versus passes, et cetera, et cetera, um, which helped control the clock and shortened the opponent's time with the football. Okay, that was a philosophy. He, he was going to be very complex, but yet somewhat simple, if you really looked at it, on defense. He could show a big overload blitz-type look, and then from that look, drop back and play a very simple coverage. And then from that very same look, bring the house and kill you. But it really helped him when he had a great corner. And then when we had Darrell Rivas, it was perfect. So it fit right into what he wanted to do. Um, the one thing that I think is a little bit of a misnomer, you know, Rex got involved with, sometimes, you know, Rex would come up with the craziest, wildest things that he would say with the media, you know, et cetera, et cetera. None of that ever manifested itself in our football team. Rex was very solid and very disciplined with our team. And then he turned around and say something in the paper. You'd think he's the craziest guy in town. He <laughs> is not. He really, he's just like, to me, he's like a big kid. You know, he loves being, he's just a big kid. But Rex was smart, smart and a good coach. And it was really fun. It was fun. We, we had, you know, he took a tough business and helped make it fun. And we mm. had very good coaches. He was great with all of us. You know, he left me pretty much do whatever I want. And then he, and we talk about things, you know, situations. Um, it was just a good, a, a good environment. He, he wanted to be a tough football team. He wanted to be physical. And, you know, we led the league in rushing. We were, we were physical. You know, we, 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 you didn't want to play the Jets. You know, they could be ugly, but they'd knock the hell out of you. We were tough. And you go back to those times. You think back, you know, we, we weren't in the, we weren't in the papers. We didn't have guys with off the field problems. These guys were, we, we had good people. We had good, and we had really good guys that played hard and practiced hard. And then, you know, then all of a sudden we kind of started to change it. And I, I put the onus on Mike Tannenbaum. I think that's where it deserves to be. All of a sudden, you know, I think it all got started when we gave Mark Sanchez a big contract. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never forget. I was like, Mike, why are we doing this? And he said, well, that's what a championship game quarterback makes. I said, well, if he had anything to do with us getting there, I'd, I'd agree with you. But he, <laughs> you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not being – Mark was an integral part. But it was an integral part. The game wasn't we, – we didn't throw the game on his shoulders. Right, of course. No, Mark, yeah. Mark, Mark was on the bus. He sure as hell wasn't driving. Right. He was like eight, ten rows back. That's where he was. And, and he did it well. He did it well. But you got to think of the group that we had with him. I mean, you know, LaDamian Thomas is carrying the ball. You know, DeBrickashaw Ferguson, Nick Mangold. Oh, Alan Fanica. Last I saw, he's in the Hall of Fame. Damian Woody, that's yeah. our offensive line. Yeah. We, you know, think we were pretty good? <laughs> we were good. You know, look at our defense. Rivas and Kamari, Abraham and Ellis, you know, our linebackers, David Harris. You know, Bart Bart was a linebacker. You know, now you hear Bart all the time on TV. You know, he, 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 Bart Bart did a nice job. He talks better than he played, to tell you the truth, but, you know, <laughs> that's just the reality. Um, this, this was really good. Yeah. We were good. But we were good in a certain type of football. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to be New England Patriots South Branch. 
So we, we let Alan Fanica get away and we got signed Plexico Burris. I must have missed something on that. <laughs> Please help me while that's even in the same universe for discussion. That, that, I never saw that guy practice. I don't know. Maybe he did somewhere. It sure as hell went on any field I was on. <laughs> so and that, that's where we went, you know, and, we, and it dissolved. Then yeah. it was time to go home because, as I told Woody Johnson, Woody didn't want me to leave, tried to get me to stay. And I said, I'm going to end up living in one of two places next year. I said, I'll be in my home in Florida or I'm going to be in Rikers because I'm going to kill Mike Tannenbaum. <laughs> I said, that's where I'm going to be. So, <laughs> I said, so I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to take discretion as a better part of valor and I'm going to get the hell out of here. And I retired. Well, I can tell you as a Jets fan, you, you were not the only person who wanted to kill Mike Tannenbaum. <laughs> <laughs> we, and we're, of course, being metaphoric. We're not being. Right, of course. We're teasing. Of course. I mean, we're not, we're not violent here. Of it course. Just, yeah, it was, just, it was just tough. It was tough. I mean, I think I captured his, you know, pretty well in my book where I described, you know, when he went to Miami. I mean, he, he was at the helm of two ships that sank to unparalleled depths. You can say what you want. That's the reality. Yeah, that was him. He did it. I don't care what he says on the on the air today. And I think he actually does a good job. And I pointed out in the book, there's a difference between knowing how to do a job and knowing what to do within the job. Right. I'll stick by that. Yeah. Because I think that's the reality. But anyway, Rex was fun. It was a fun time. I, I loved it. I was proud to be there. I, I like when I, when I go to book signings and things today, um, in fact, I'm going to do one this week. I have a speaking engagement and we'll, we'll sell books and stuff. And I get paid. It's pretty cool. Anyway, if these guys are Jets fans, you know, I'll put his name down like uh, Paul and I'll write down here, New York Jets, dot, dot, dot. And I say the best years of my life. That's because that's what it was. That's great. I loved it. I have the deepest respect. I love being in the city. I, I, I love the fans. I love coming out of that tunnel in front of that crowd. That crowd was, and we were good. We were a good team. We were exciting to be a part. I'd, I'd walk through Penn Station. Guys would be giving me fives. And I used to love it. I, yeah. I loved doing it. You know, people were great. And, and I kind of fit into it. I, I, I mean, I, I played it to even be more than what it really was. But I remember standing with my girlfriend, I used to go out with this girlfriend who lived in Garden City. She was real cute. In fact, I still kind of miss her, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be happy to hear that. Anyway, uh, yeah, make a long story short. I stand and wait for a cab in front of Penn Station on a Friday night. Freezing cold. I had a talk go to freezing cold. And these guys were all coming by. They were like five guys. You know, they were in their uh, late 30s or 40. You know, they had, they, had, they had Friday. They'd been out after work, you know, having a couple of drinks. And now they were headed wherever. And they saw me. Hey, coach, how you doing? Da, 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 and they're all standing there talking. And one guy said, Coach, what are you doing? <clears throat> I said, Well, I'm waiting for a cab. He said, Why are you waiting for a cab? Why, why aren't you just taking a limo? I said, well, I'm with the Jets. I said, We we wait for cabs. I said, The Giants, they catch the limos. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I fit right in. I just fit I like right that. in. And I loved it. And I, I it was the greatest years of my life. And I'll, that's the way I feel. I had a good time in New Orleans. We were pretty good down there. I was fun that when I came out of retirement. Yeah. Uh, but the Jets were a tremendous time for me. It was just a great experience. I loved it. Um, I think they're 
headed back that direction. They've got a couple things they've got to square away, but they're, I know one thing about them right now. I believe this. Their defense is a playoff caliber defense right now. Now, how do I get the rest of that team there? Uh, that, that's some tough questions. They need a quarterback. I, I, you're probably pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, coach, I, I, I could talk to you. I could talk football with you all day, but I, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to take your whole day. So I'll ask you one, I'll, I'll one last question and I'll, I'll let you go. Um, I know, you know, we talked about the, the jets. You went to the championship game twice with the jets. Um, you had a remarkable career. I mean, you know, you're, you're a legend in the game, um, but you never got to that Super Bowl. And you also had with, with New Orleans, I mean, just two bizarre and and heartbreaking lo- playoff losses. Um, is there is there a game or a play that kind of gnaws at you the most that you think about the most that you wish you could do over or, you know, play it out differently? Yeah, sure. Sure. Most of them are plays that I love that I would go back. I had one thing, one, I, I talked about this in great depth um, when I was at New Orleans and I was proud of going, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, when I got the phone call, I was working for the media in New York. I was, you know, doing a uh, ESPN radio show with uh, Anita Marks on, and, and Chris Canny on Sunday mornings, which I really enjoyed. And I was working for SMY doing the television and I had a ball. I loved it. It was fun. And I get a call from the New Orleans saints. They might, well, you want to come back to work? I said, no, no, thanks. I, I never met Sean Payton in my life. I didn't know him. I didn't know anybody there. Anyway, they got talking to me and they convinced me to come down. Da 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 da. So I did. When I walked in there, they were ranked 31st in the NFL in their kicking game. When I left, we were first. So I helped them out. I helped them, and we were good. Okay, we're playing the Rams in a championship game. Now, by this time, our special teams were really good, but the Rams were very good. The Rams had a great punter that could really throw the ball, and they were a big fake. They could run fakes. So I put together what I think was maybe my get-best game plan of personnel, et cetera, that I designed on our punt return, which I was going to use the defensive lineman. And I, I had a – it was just – it was my be- – it was simple, and it was the best. I had this really good plan. And I had practiced against their fakes. Matter of fact, I went and got – I had our guy look up for me and get – Every fake that they'd ever run, including when they were at St. Louis with Jeff Fisher. They used to run fakes all the time. I showed it all. Because see, Fisher used to love to do that. My thing was, yeah, he's big at doing it. But when you are when you stink, it's easy to run a fake because nobody cares. Though I, yeah, I was never very impressed. But they were good at this. Though I designed what I think is this perfect plan to stop any, to be able to attack them, to run our returns, to put pressure on the punter, uh, to stop any fake that they could run. I had the best plan ever. I loved it. But I made one mistake. I played a seven-man front, and I doubled one side. I was going to double the side to our right where he punted the ball most of the time, especially when he was pressured. And with this outfit I put out there, Taysom Hill and those guys, trust me, he was going to be pressured every time. I singled the other side. Okay, now I took our corner on that side. I backed them off the line of scrimmage four and a half yards, and I put them two yards inside. And I told them when the ball was snapped, back up, just retreat back, keep an eye on your guy, and then if they throw a fake, 
if you throw the ball out of punt formation to the outside receiver, there's no pass interference. You can just go knock the hell out of them. Now, there can be personal foul, but no pass interference. And I practiced it and practiced it. I even had Teddy Bridgewater be the punter, though he would throw the great pass that we would have to defend. But I made a mistake. I took a proactive player, that corner, who was proactive. He was the guy that would just, could, you know, and I put him in a reactive position. I should have flopped corners. Put the other guy, a more experienced guy over there, because a simple technique, you're playing back off the ball. If they throw, they're going to knock the hell out of them. There's no penalty. And I practiced it, but it was perfect. But I made that mistake. And during the game, we were killing them. And our punt team, we were winning every special team's play. Sure as hell, they ran that fake. They ran it. Now my reactive guy, proactive guy, runs back. And as the guy went to throw, he turned his back to him <coughs> to make the play. And they completed the pass, and they got the fake. I was sick. I was sick. Um, yeah, we stopped them, held them to a field goal, and we still should have won the game. And it came down to that crazy, you know, that <coughs> crazy non-call. Yeah. Everybody, in, everybody in the world knew, you know, that that, that that was a pass interference, helmet to helmet and pass interference that never got called. Anyway, all I had to do was flip-flop the corners. I would have stopped that play. And to me, I just think that would have won the game and we'd have gone to the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I feel like I kept this from, you know, academically everybody would look at me and tell me I'm crazy, but that's how I think. That's where my, that's how my mind works. Yeah. So yeah, if I had one play to do over, that's the one I'd do over. But I had a million, I had a million that I loved and I would always relish and keep anywhere I've been. And, uh, they're probably a little more important, but yeah, you, you asked me to bring up a, you ruined my whole interview. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I feel, Paul. So, so sorry yeah, to end it on that, Coach. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I had I had a ball. I'm so lucky, and uh, it was a really fun career. And I'm happy with the book. You can get the book. You know, it's hard to sell as many as you'd like to. Now, I've I've sold quite a few, and you mm. can get it on Amazon. You know, go to Amazon, you know, put in, figure it out. They'll deliver it right to your house. And then I'll do more and more now that I we're, we're kind of surviving the hurricane. You know, I, I was stuck right in the middle of the hurricane. Oh, yeah. Um, and we got smacked down here. I got my house just got finally put back together. I lost both of my cars. Oh, wow. And, yeah, Sorry, I, I live eight and a half miles from the water. And I watched my SUV get swept up and pushed into my yard. Wow. Yeah, I survived 155 mile an hour winds. When I walked outside, what I saw, I sat in front of my front door by myself at night and there was two feet of water on the outside. And I sat there and held that door closed for two hours. Wow. If, that, if that water had come rushing in, I'd have lost the whole inside of my house. So I, I figured I fought it through. I figured it out. I figured I, I was about, I still know how to fight a little bit. I'm getting older. I don't win as much. <laughs> <laughs> I fought my ass off. And I fought to keep my house as good as I can. And it's, it, trust me, I got water in, but then I had a lot of work, but it wasn't terrible. And it wasn't like what mostly that I see where it just got devastated. Right. And I got beat up, but I didn't get destroyed. So, but that, oh. that took my, that knocked my book business back a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Well, but I'm glad you're okay. I'm doing okay. I fought good. through it. Um, I, well, as coach said, I just want to say the name of the book again, it's figure it out. My 32 year journey. Well, revolutionizing pro, 
pro football special teams. And uh, I think I think anyone listening could tell from from this uh, podcast that coach is a great storyteller and he has a lot of great stories to tell. And there are a ton of them in this book. Lots of stuff. I mean, so many people we didn't even touch upon. You know, we, Coach mentioned Lee Corso. We didn't really get into what he did for Coach's career. Um, you know, there's stuff about Bill Parcells and Herman Edwards and um, uh, Sean Payton and and on and on. So there's just great, lots of great stuff in this book. And, and um, you know, for, for the diehard football fans and, you know, people are, who are just kind of casual fans, I think, I think both will really enjoy this book. So go out and buy it. And Coach, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the book with me. I really enjoyed it. No, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. Um, and and you, you, did, you, you asked great questions. You brought it up and helped me move through it. So thank you. Uh, it, I'm proud of it. Uh, it was something that I enjoy. I, I love the fact that you're going to hear me talk about it. But then you're going to hear so many people that, were, that actually did that, that yes. were involved. You know, the, the Leon yeah, Washington. Great quotes, the, great quotes uh, in there. All, all yeah. those guys that told the story. Yeah. That, that to me makes it very special. It's not just me. It, it's it's their words. I, I didn't and I didn't edit one word. So it's, uh you know, it, it's a little bit X-rated. So, but <laughs> it was fun. I, I, I just had a ball and I appreciate your doing it. So thank you. Sure. Thank you, coach. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye. Okay.